You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. Welcome. Um, we have the privilege this morning of hearing from an amazing man of God. He may be small in stature, but he is large in the spirit. Can we please give, uh, be upstanding, give Deej a massive Melbourne Light Church welcome. Can I just say, stand together. DJ's actually only like an inch shorter than you. Poor DJ, we do give you a stick, but you're not that short, love. Yeah. Not that short. We love you. Can we pray for Deej? Let's stretch out our hands. Lord, we just thank you for this uh, amazing man of God who is not small in stature, either in real life or in the spirit. Lord, would you anoint him right now? Lord, we open our hearts to receive all that you want to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be with you this morning. It's good to be here. Good to have you. I, 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 if, if you know me, I'm, I'm a bit mischievous. I do, I do enjoy the banter, I do. And so when, uh, when people do mock me, uh, you better believe it's coming back at you. So, and today I have the mic, oh goody. So, so um, I don't know if you, uh, if you saw over this last week, um, the Cricket World Cup is on. Now you may be cricketers, you may not follow the cricket, I certainly follow the cricket. And I saw on Thursday night a certain game, the Aussies versus South Africa. And if you know me, I'm South African. I'm a South African who's trying to be, who's trying to be an Aussie, okay? I'll give you that. I, uh, I, uh, I, I, I do try with all my heart to support the Aussie teams. I really do. I really do. I just need to surrender. In fact, I should probably listen to my preach this morning. Um, but what we saw happen on on, on Thursday, there was a little bit of a skip in the heart because the South African team smashed the Aussies. And I was just like, I was like, oh, dang it, but yes, I love it. Stoked. <laughs> just repent. A couple of months ago, Matt, uh, Matt comes to me and he says, hey, Deej, do you want to preach? I said, Matt, bro, the World Cup is on. The Cricket World Cup. There's no way. There is no way I'm preaching with the world's greatest game in the most competitive tournament on the go. He said, look, uh, you, should, you should probably, you should probably, uh, look, I'm not going to force you, but I think you should reconsider. Uh, I did. I said, no, cricket's important. <laughs> so here I am, standing my ground, as you can see, not preaching this morning. Uh, and if you don't know me, I'm a joker. It didn't go down like that at all. When Matt said, do you want to give it a crack? I said, absolutely, I'd love to, because this is a privilege. It's a privilege being here. Uh, as introducing myself, uh, my name's DJ, if you haven't met me. Um, been a part of this church now for about six or so years. Um, moved here from South Africa, married, been so for 11 years. Uh, got a, got, a, got a, a beautiful boy, a handsome boy. He's, he's, he's up here? Getting up here now, it's overtaking me. Uh, so so uh, he's, he's, a, he's a seven-year-old boy who reckons he's the greatest sportsman in the world. He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't fall short in any, um, 
in any confidence, that's for sure. Takes after his mother. So, uh, so, so uh, it was the footy finals a couple of weeks ago, and I say to Hunter, I say, um, hey, Hunter, this was actually just per chance. Hey, Hunter, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I want to be a footy player. I want to be a professional footy player. To my dismay, that had changed from being a professional cricket player. And I was like, this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. It's just like, this has hurt me. Anybody want a son out there? I'm selling mine. <laughs> Beck, you can. Just jokes. He's not for sale. <laughs> I, have a, I have a word on my heart this morning. And uh, it's not all that different from what's been discussed over the last couple of months. Uh, we've been going through... In fact, I, I, was, list, I, I was up in, in City Lights on, on Sunday, so I missed the preach here. Uh, Liana shared an amazing word, a great word. Uh, but I was a little bit grumpy because a lot of what she was going to preach on I had in my notes. So I was just like, oh, thanks, Liana. You've just given my week a great week head start when I listened to it on Monday. So I was like, oh, okay, so I'm going to change this up a little bit and uh, have done so. This morning, I want to look at lordship. But through the context, through the context of uh, freedom and humility. I felt God say this this morning, that freedom comes through a heart of humility. Come along with me on this journey as we unpack what this looks like. I was, uh, I was um, trying to think up some catchy headliners or, or headings for the topics for the, uh, in terms of going through this preach. And uh, I got through a couple and I thought, gee, these were good. It's not the title of my preach this morning. I'll get to that in a sec. Um, but I thought, well, you know, here's heading number one. Smart ways to... Sorry, smart ways and dumb ways to live. And I thought, gee, this is, this is, a, great, this is a great heading because you, you're giving people the choice. It's probably a little bit blunt, so I didn't go with that this morning. Heading number two, do... <laughs> I just heard that from the front, yeah, that, that was brilliant. Thanks. Appreciate that. Uh, heading, heading number two, do this and you won't die. Probably a little bit dark, though. Maybe not that true. Possibly. Yeah, okay. Look, look. Yeah, that's right. Comes with a hammer, that one. Yeah, probably. Need more glow. Okay. Do as I say, not as I do. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. And so I landed with this one. Jesus, our Lord. And if we want to live a fulfilled life, submitting to God's Lordship, Helps us achieve just that. Who knows the story of Frankenstein? Everybody know the story of Frankenstein? It's good. I just want to take a moment to set the mood. (laughs) Frankenstein is the story of a doctor who is trying to create life. Now, I realized in, in researching this that, uh, that Frankenstein was actually the doctor and not the monster. And I have, I've used this story in recent, uh, not in recent preachers, but, but, but where I have uh, shared before, I've used this story. And I've always sort of referred to Frankenstein as the monster, but he's not. And so if, uh, if you're a little, like, a little bit like me this morning and you don't know the complete story, here's a quick snapshot. It's the late 1700s, 
Victor Frankenstein, a brilliant student, he's a talented individual. Uh, he, he travels to a place called Ingolstadt uh, to study at the local university there. Uh, Victor uh, gets to, well, he becomes friends with a, with a man by the name of Professor Waldman. And Professor Waldman and him uh, get this idea and they start theorizing of how to create life. Ultimately, it comes down to this, though. When uh, Frankenstein wants to start pursuing and moving down this direction, he says, look, we haven't gotten quite there yet. If we proceed now, it's going to result in, abom- in an abomination. But here's the thing. Professor Waldman dies. He, uh, he passes away and um, uh, Frankenstein decides, well, research has been done. I want to... I want to get going here. I want to try and create the, uh, this, this life. He goes through this experiment. Um, and so he steals, he steals Waldman's notes and uh, succeeds in creating this creature. It's a strong creature composed of a whole lot of dead parts from people. It's pretty gross. However, he realizes that his experiment is a mistake. And... Um, uh, it ends up abandoning, abandoning this creature. He abandons, he abandons the creature, expecting that it will it'll die alone. The creature, however, survives and thrives, learns to read, write, etc. But because he's a monster who's been rejected by society, because he's a monster who's been rejected by his creator, this monster decides to seek revenge and kill every single one of Frankenstein's loved ones. Great story. When we look at Dr. Frankenstein, he's this brilliant and talented individual where things go horribly wrong in this story. Uh, for him, uh, this obsession with creating life ultimately leads to grave robbing, putting a whole lot of dead people together to put together this body. And, um, well, we all know the electrifying scene, right? It's the most famous scene where um, he's got Frankenstein you know, with the hooks going through out of his head or his neck or wherever it comes out of. And uh, uh, there's a thunderstorm. And as the lightning uh, sort of strikes, uh, the energy from the lightning strike gets put in or gets, uh, flows right through uh, to Frankenstein. And then there's the, the uh, sorry, the monster. Yes. <laughs> you see, it's old tendencies, I tell you. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and we all know the, the, the picture where he, he screams out, it's alive, it's alive. But ultimately, he finds the thing repulsive, rejects it, and the monster obviously is, becomes uncontrollable in his, um, his efforts to seek revenge. When we look at people who call themselves Christians, you and I, uh, there's been a process that has taken place, all right? Uh, God has taken us and made something new. The Bible says he's taken us and made something new. God, in, in his incredible love for us, saves us by sending his son to die on a cross for us. And we become a new creation. In fact, the Bible speaks of this in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verses 17 to 21. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us. He reconciled us. How good. Reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. 
not counting their trespasses against them, against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, talking about Jesus, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God's created us as new creations. We are a reconciled people to carry a message of reconciliation. In fact, the scripture talks about us being witnesses. We are God's witnesses, right? If you are here this morning and you, and you haven't given your life to, uh, to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he has a message for you from him. God loves you. Jesus loves you. He sent his son to die on a cross for you. Why? Because with all due respect, you don't have it all put together. None of us do. There is stuff that comes with humanity that separates us from God and keeps us from living the life that he has designed or or, or given us to live created us to live the word for this stuff is called sin Romans 6 talks about the wages of sin being death and being uh, the wages of sin being death and, and, and Jesus taking on that punishment for us and him being raised to life he defeats sin he defeats sin How good. So you get to make a choice this morning. And it's an all-in choice. Can't be half in, half out. It's an all-in choice. If you haven't put your life in Jesus' hands, it's an all-in choice. A life that's that's eternal, living for, uh, living the life you were created for. A son, a daughter of the high king, a father, Loving a father, your father, or eternally separated from him. It's as simple as that. It's a choice you get to make. But here's the thing. If you make the choice to follow Jesus, if you make the choice to follow God, your life changes forever. And because there's a change, it's going to require courage. Because it's not all, it's not all, Rainbows and unicorns. Takes courage. E.E. Cummings is a famous writer and poet, and he once said, it takes courage to grow and be the person you were meant to be. If God has created us, he's created a life for us, it takes courage to actually walk that out and step step up into the things that God has called us into. You get that choice today can take courage because it will change the rest of your life as you know it. Frankenstein uses dead things to create life. And the consequences are quite monstrous. God declares dead things dead. No longer a part of us. Those dead things are dead. God creates from himself, which is why life can be sustained. 
You don't have a flawed individual who's trying to piece together parts of dead people to create life. No, 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 no. God says, I have created you afresh and new. You are a new creation. However, sometimes as Christians, we get it wrong. We can tend to hold on to the stuff that should just be dead and buried. All right? Just like Frankenstein, if we dig up these lordship issues, which interfere with the way God intended for us to live, right, can actually turn out to be quite monstrous, can cause a lot of pain, a lot of trouble, right? especially if we don't deal with them. By raising these things effectively from the dead, do you know what we're doing? We're giving them power over us, power over our lives, just like Frankenstein sought out revenge. We're giving these things power over our lives. They're going to affect us. Can you turn your Bibles to Romans 6? Because Romans 6 deals with this very thing. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with the sorry, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death, in death, like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we are also alive, also live with him. We believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Importantly, when we look at ourselves being under the law, we need to understand this, well, not being under the law, we need to understand why that's the case. It's because God's grace um, upholds and fulfills the law. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, it's not the law, uh, sorry, the law has already been fu fulfilled through him. I am going to read the rest because I think it's worth reading. Romans 15, uh, sorry, verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as, as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? 
father of sin, giving power to sin over us, raising that sin, whatever, from the dead, the stuff that's supposed to be dead, has power over us. Either of sin, which leads to death, or of, dis- uh, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I know that's a chunky bit of scripture, but ultimately it's boiling down to this. We have been set free. We have been set free from sin. This piece of scripture tells us God has provided a way Shall we, shall we persist with the stuff that causes death or slavery? It's, it's absurd. That's absurd. It's such an absurd idea. Paul is suggesting pretty strongly here that just like Frankenstein, we probably, well, Frankenstein's monster, we probably put, shouldn't be this um, salty zombie. <laughs> the scripture tells us that we are joined to Christ, sharing his death and resurrection, dead to our old lives and alive in Christ. Paul draws the example of baptism, right, as a way to indicate this dead to our old life and sin. He says, going under the water signifies that you have been dead and buried to that particular life, right? Then coming out of the water, that life that you have left behind has no hold on you anymore. You have come up into new life. We were dead before, but now we are alive. Sin's stranglehold is broken. And we need to live in the light of that newfound freedom. It's freedom. In fact, the scripture says we have a new master now. We serve God. We serve Jesus. The last, the last verse of uh, this Romans 6 scripture talks about these two masters and the forms of compensation for each of these masters. The one leads to death, the other to eternal life. There's no comparison here. There's no comparison. It's like being set free from prison and you're going, look, I've made some friends here. I think I'd rather stay. You'd rather stay in prison? Yeah. No. Or or is it, I get another shot, I'm going to make this count. I get to restart. But sometimes we fall in this rut. And if you have a look at prisoners, they fall in this rut of they don't make the life count. They hold on to what is old. It can be devastating. 
This scripture here is dealing with issues of lordship. It's living free from the stuff that should be buried and uh, living with the fruit that lasts eternally. But this can only be achieved through him. John 15, verses 7 to 11 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have, I have loved, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. full. God loves you. God loves us. He wants us to be filled with his joy. He is not a fun-sucking leech. He's not. God wants us to have fun. Can you turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20? Exodus chapter 20 um, goes through the Ten Commandments. And we're going to read the first one. Uh, Exodus chapter 20 from verse 2 to 6. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. I think when we look at uh, the context of uh, the, the Ten Commandments, let's look at how they came about before uh, diving deeper into the Scripture. Moses meets uh, the angel of the Lord. Uh, some commentators believe that this was actually Jesus uh, because a little later, uh, when Moses asks him, who shall I say you are? He says, tell them I am. And so, whether it was just an angel or whether it was Jesus himself, the angel would have reflected God's words to him. Right? So it's a, represent, a message from God. Tell them I am. That is God. Right? Um, Moses uh, meets the Lord through a burning bush who instructs Moses to bring God's people, the Israelites, um, out from slavery and oppression from under the Egyptians' hands, okay, uh, and lead them into the promised land to live a life that's actually here created for them, a life where they can flourish, a life where they can prosper. The Bible describes, describes it as the land uh, the land flowing with milk and honey. God is literally, he's, he's, he's bearing his heart to Moses here. He's saying, I've seen my people. I've seen the oppression. I've seen the hurt. I've seen the stuff these guys are going through. They need me to live this life I've created for them. For us, we need God. And we need to step up into the things that God has called us into. 
for us to live from a place of flourish. Now, that's not to say that we will have it all together, but we have a relationship with someone who does. And he sustains us. He sustains us. From there, uh, so effectively, yeah, he's bearing his heart to Moses, wants them to live free from this oppression and slavery. And um, can, I, can I also, I, I think that's a word for someone here this morning. I, I believe God wants you to be free. Free from oppression, free from slavery, free from bondage, free from sin, free from depression, free from whatever it is that's holding you down. Freedom. The Israelites then embark on this Exodus journey out of Egypt after Moses has tried to warn the Egyptians of of what's to come with regards to the 10 plagues. The 10 plagues happen. They then uh, leave Egypt. God then parts the Red Sea by using a mighty wind for the Israelites to, to walk through, delivered from the hands of the Egyptians, wipes them out, and into the wilderness they go. All through this journey, God is there with them, keeping them warm at night through a pillar of fire and taking them towards the promised land a pillar of clouds during the day as they travel. God's there with them. Through this journey, even though God's there with them, their faith falters. They moan. They gripe. I want food. God gives them food. But ultimately, when their faith falters, God uses Aaron and, sorry, uh, Moses and Aaron to remind them what they've come from and remind them where they're going. For us, when, when their struggle when the struggle hits, when the grind, when, when the grind comes, when life hurts, when the monster rears its ugly head, remember what God has taken you out of and remember that in stepping into him, he's leading you somewhere and you're going to flourish. After journeying in the wilderness for a while, they arrive at Mount Sinai. And it's here that they camp for a period of time. Moses goes up the mountain to, to meet with God, and, and, and it's here that we get the Ten Commandments. And the first commandment Moses is given is this, that God is saying, I am Lord. I am the Lord. He is dealing with this lordship issue right up front. I am the Lord, not, this, not these other, I, I am the Lord. Remember God's heart for his people, though, right? He wants, he loves them. Doesn't want to see them in the struggle. He loves them. Remember, he loves you. But, in fact, the word I've used here, remember God's heart for his people. He's not a killjoy. In fact, he brings joy, as we read earlier. But it's in him, right? He says this uh, when introducing himself. The word God uses to describe himself as Lord is the word Jehovah which denotes to that to he is the one true God. In fact, it literally means that I am the one who is, right? And so even though he loves us, he is also holy. He created us. He is the one who is. And so there is no tolerance for sin. There's no tolerance for that stuff. It's his way we are fulfilled, not our way. 
that we are fulfilled his way. His way, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We know the fruits of the Spirit. Our way, thumbs up, sort of trying to hitchhike to the next destination, trying to figure out what life looks like next. God leads us. Liam Meesk, uh, a friend uh, of the church, came here and preached a couple, a couple months ago, warning about idols that are creeping into the church. In fact, uh, the way he found this out was through a survey that was done through churches, local churches in the U.S., right? And uh, the top three idols or, 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 or um, things that uh, are influencing the local church in the U.S. were comfort, control, and money. Comfort, control, and money. There were other things, approval, success, political power, romance, um, you know, go to church to find your significant other. Um, but the top three, comfort, control, money. Can I suggest this, that finding our comfort in God is far more important than being comfortable. In fact, uh, the Bible talks about, and Matt, Matt alluded to it earlier, um, there's a word for the Holy Spirit called parakletos, which literally translates to God being our counselor or comforter. And so if God is our comforter, then there's no more comfortable place to be other than in his presence, despite the discomfort that comes with stepping out and into the calling that God has for us. Here's this quote um, from John Piper that says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Think about that for a sec. When we find ourselves utterly satisfied in him is when God is most glorified. God is Lord. It's not these other things. It's not your comfort. Lordship is defined as supreme power or rule. Ultimately, when we look at God's lordship, it's in the context of God's rule and reign, right, in our lives. This is important because it's for this reason we face some battles over and over again and don't win. It's because we are more concerned possibly with the issue than uh, actually relinquishing the lordship over to God. We haven't found freedom because we haven't let it go. I used a, I used a very silly example at the beginning of this preach using the Cricket World Cup, right? Um, now, I loved cricket. I really loved it. Uh, and I believed I was pretty good at it. This was back in South Africa, and people believed I was. But I had a problem, but I had a problem, <laughs> just saying, exactly, yeah, no, I, was, I had a skill. But I, <laughs> you believe me, you sure? Uh, but I had a problem. When I recommitted my life to Jesus, my games were on a Sunday. And so I tried, I tried going and playing games as well as playing Sorry, playing games and going to church because there was an evening service. But I found that uh, often the games would run late and I'd miss the services. I'd miss the, the church services. Anyway, cricket, cricket season came to an end and I got more committed to going to church. And I figured that I needed to lay down cricket. You see, I, I, look, I wasn't a bad guy uh, by anybody's standards, really. I, I, uh, I didn't drink. I didn't think. I didn't drink. I, uh, I didn't do drugs with my friends. I respected my family. But sport was getting in the way of my growth with, with God. Right. Right? And so 
it's either, well, I, I, was, I had a choice to make. Either I lay cricket down and uh, try and figure out why God wasn't answering my prayers. Sorry, the other way. Either I play cricket and try contemplate as to why God wasn't answering my prayers, or I lay cricket down, grow in Him, and find that actually my prayer is a dialogue, a dialogue with God for our relationship, not just a checklist of things that I want to, ch- to tick off. Wouldn't have understood that if I hadn't have laid something down. God, why aren't you? And, that's, and that's, I think that's a word for some of us. Why? Why aren't you answering my prayer? Lord, why is this happening to me? Why is there no freedom? Maybe God, there's a lordship issue that God is asking you to deal with. Maybe he is speaking and he has spoken, but we just haven't listened. When we look at Genesis, um, uh, Eve is tempted by Satan. Did God really intend for you to eat the fruit, he says? He just doesn't want you to be uh, like him, knowing good and evil. He starts with this issue of lordship, which messes then with her identity. When, when a person has an identity crisis, particularly Christians, generally speaking, it's come from an issue of lordship. We lose our freedom and have become slaves to the sin we've let come in. And, and, and this is what I mean by this. Uh, we alluded to it earlier. Uh, when Matt was speaking, laying aside things of God for our needs. For our needs. The comfortable stuff. When God speaks, go pray for a lady or woman, and your response is, no, that's weird. It's weird. Or, how will that person react when you're on the streets today? Or, maybe it was just my thoughts of God speaking. No, there's a, there's a lordship issue there because God could be trying to unlock something. We wonder why God doesn't answer our prayers. It comes down to lordship. And can I just say, if he says no, he says no. If he says yes, then go. But don't let the no be a wait. Okay, I'm gonna wait until God says yes. No, he said no. He says, lay it down. <laughs> Exodus, Exodus 20 verses, uh, from verse 5, and we read, this, we read this a little earlier. God introduces one of his attributes, which is that he is a jealous God. He is jealous for you. He doesn't tolerate the other stuff that contends. He doesn't want to contend. He doesn't want it to be in contention. He is a jealous God. And because he is jealous, our heart's response needs to be that of humility. When we look at the story of Saul and David in 1 Samuel, you have two kings. Two kings. One filled with pride, the other who had a heart after God's own heart. Pride was Saul's downfall. Humility was David's strength. Remember, David messed up big time, an adulterer, a murderer. By all accounts, he is the worst man when you compare the two on a works basis. Because remember, Saul, he followed what God had said, but just not all that was necessary. But when these issues were were brought up, David's response was, 
See, I messed up. Repent. Going before God. On his knees. I'm sorry, Jesus. Saul's was pride and indignation. But I did do this. What are you talking about? I, I did. David recognized that he was only someone or something because, because of God. Saul saw himself as someone who deserved his position because of what he had done. When it comes to our own lives, humility plays such an important role in our sanctification. Humility, just think about it for a sec, right? It takes humility to recognize that you are a person who desperately needs a savior. It takes humility to completely surrender your life to God. Because whether you understand it or not, and I, and I say that because sometimes we don't need to understand it. God's way is always better. It takes humility to lay down your life, forsaking the life that you once knew, the life as you know, to follow a way that could actually be potentially quite troublesome. Why do it, you may ask? Because it's worth it. It's worth it. Sharing in Christ's sufferings today means you share in his glory tomorrow. Leanna mentioned that last week. In fact, in, in James 4 verse 10, it says that we should humble ourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He will exalt you. I want to I end with a, 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 a quick illustration and then, and, and then a quick story. Can I, can I, can I get you, Joey? Uh, if you could just stay at the bottom here. All right, so here's Joey. Um, this is, this is what humility isn't. This is stepping down and saying, I'm just as much of a worm as Joey is. <laughs> he's, not, he's not a worm. He's not a worm. But if that's our posture before God, we've missed the point as Christians. No, no, no. No, humility is stepping up and into the things of God. It's showing others that, they have a plan, that God has a plan and purpose for them. And then they can step up into God's plans and purposes. That's humility. When it, comes to, when it comes to leadership, thanks, Joey. When it comes to leadership and, and, and bringing people on a journey with us, it's not, hey, move over. I'm the authoritarian over here. I'm the authority. You, you listen to me. No, no, it's, it's showing them, actually, mate, you've got authority in Jesus. Last story. In the late... Billy Graham, sorry, the late Billy Graham in his book, The Holy Spirit, Activating uh, God's Power in Your Life, references the story of an Eskimo, an Eskimo fisherman with two dogs. Uh, and and I'll, let me just read it quickly. It says, yeah, an Eskimo fisherman came to town every Saturday afternoon. He always brought his two dogs with him. One was white and the other one was black. He had taught them to fight on command. Every Saturday afternoon in the town square, the people would gather and these two dogs would fight, and the fishermen would take bets. On the Saturday, the black dog would win. On another, on another Saturday, the white dog would win. But the fisherman always won. His friend began to ask him how he did it. He said, I starve the one, and I feed the other. This story about the two dogs tells us something about the inner warfare that comes into life a person who is born again. We have two natures within us, both struggling for mastery. Which one will dominate us? It depends on the one which we feed. Here's the encouragement. Feed the one, sorry, feed the life living under God's lordship. Yeah. 
Practice humility. Practice putting God before everything you do. This means reading your Bible. This means praying, dialoguing with God. This means taking time out to hear Him. And when you do hear Him, practice stepping out and do the thing He's told you to do. This is living under God's Lordship. And living under the Lordship of God brings freedom to live the life He has created us for. I'm going to get Deej to come back up and pray for us, but can we stand together? There's so much uh, gold in that. I wrote down four things that I felt like God was saying prophetically while Deej was preaching, and I'm sure there's another 40 things that you could have got out of this. But I felt like there's some questions. Are you trying to sustain yourself? When you forget what you're called to, you often go back to what God's taken you out of. Have you forgotten your calling? Are you looking for joy through yourself or your own provision rather than in him? What do you need to lay down? What do you need to take off of the throne of your life so that Jesus can truly be the Lord of your life? And there's probably 40 other questions that you could have written yourself. But Deed, would you, would you come and pray for us? And let's respond to him, to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I want to start off by saying, I repent. I'm sorry for putting things ahead of you. As you show us now, Lord God, as, as we work in this area where we have lordship issues, where we haven't submitted under your lordship certain areas of our life, Lord God, we repent. Thank you that you love us and that you don't look at our acts, but you actually see our hearts. God, I just pray for a clean heart this morning. Yeah. Would you clean our hearts this morning, Lord Jesus? Yeah. As we have put things before you, Lord God, we repent, break those down. And look to you. Mm. We lift our eyes up to you, Lord Jesus. You are our creator. Thank you that you love us, Lord God. Thank you. Thank you that you are here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That you choose to live in a relationship with us. Even though you don't need to. Oh, Lord, I pray that we would just have that revelation of what it means to live a life under your lordship. In Jesus' name. Yeah.
<laughs> Amen. Can we thank Deej? What a great word. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.